was a big, burly guy. <laughs> and she just walked over to him and said, would you like to say hello to my dog? And he said, can I hold her? And she said, sure. So she handed this tiny little five-pound poodle over to him. And he literally slithered down the wall, sat on the floor, and held this dog and cried. You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Michael DeVolpeer, communications officer with the American Red Cross in Greater New York. For today's podcast, instead of having one guest, we're going to be interviewing two. Judy Audivard will be accompanied by her cute little dog, Lulu. Judy is, in fact, the founder of a pet therapy group, Hudson Valley Pause for a Cause, that partners with the Red Cross here in Greater New York. And Lulu is her beloved pet one of 100-plus therapy dogs that volunteer with her charity. Lulu is the second dog that Judy's ever had. Her first was a Bichon named Kizzy, who, by fate, changed the direction of her life by opening Judy's eyes to the incredible healing and comforting power of dogs. As part of their work with the Red Cross, Pause for a Cause lends their support at West Point to service members, cadets, veterans, and their families. This is part of the American Red Cross Service to the Armed Forces program, the oldest line of service for the organization, providing support during nearly every stage of military life. You don't have to be a dog lover like I am to appreciate the conversation, but I guess it doesn't hurt. So joining me today in my interview with Judy Audivar is Andrew Sindel, our manager of volunteer recruitment at the American Red Cross in Greater New York. Andrew, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here as always. And here today, Judy, thank you so much for joining us. And Lulu, thanks for being here as well. Thank you for inviting us. So who is, who is Lulu? Lulu is a therapy dog with Hudson Valley Pause for a Cause. She is my dog. She's three years old, and uh, Lulu's been doing therapy work for two years. What kind of dog is she? She's a Couton de Tulier. Very fancy name for a dog that was uh, rescued. <laughs> Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about your background as a, as a dog owner and as a dog lover? Well, I've always loved dogs. The reason I got involved with pet therapy had to do really with my mom. Uh, my mom had a stroke, a very, very severe stroke. And she, after three years with the stroke, she couldn't move her right arm, nor could she speak. We got a dog. We had adopted Kizzy when he was about a year and a half, so I didn't really know what his background was. And when I gave her the dog to hold for the picture, she actually moved her right arm. And I said to her, do you know what you're doing? And she said, I'm petting Kizzy. And that was as clear as clear could be. And that was when my life changed. I then brought Kizzy to the vet to uh, get him checked out. And there was a sign that said, if you're interested in pet therapy, call this number. And I did. And that was the beginning of my pet therapy career. Kizzy was tested. We did our first work at the Children's Psychiatric Hospital in Rockland County, and I realized that Kizzy had a special um, attraction towards kids, and I started doing some research, and I found a program called READ, which is Reading Education Assistance Dog, and Rizzy, uh, Kizzy became a READ-certified dog, and he also became a therapy dog. So if you could just talk through this program a little bit, maybe a little bit more specifically, on how you and the dogs were involved with, uh, with the kids? Just maybe a little bit more specifically, you were saying this was a reading program? We are involved in 
over a dozen schools and many, many library programs. And each program is different. The library program is built around having the children come into the library and they sit and they read to the dog for about 15 minutes. In some of the other schools, we work with not only with reading programs, but with social interaction. The teachers and the social worker choose students who have specific needs. Some children, we had first grader and second grader who were selectively mute, and we used the dogs to be able to uh, get them to talk. People would actually, at the time, this was about 16 or 17 years ago, people laughed and they said, oh, that's a very funny thing to have a dog, have a kid listen, uh, read to a dog. Judy, what apprehensions did schools have about bringing your dogs into their facilities? To be able to go into the schools in the very beginning with Kizzy, the schools were, um, were afraid of a dog coming into a school. They were afraid of children with allergies. They uh, it was it was really it was so difficult, and I then wrote a children's book, and it gave me credibility to go into the different schools, and bring the book, bring my dog, and schools would actually pay me as an author, and I used to go in and we talked about the book, we read it, and it helped to raise awareness with the teachers and administration and families about what dogs can do and how helpful they could be. You know, I'm curious, Judy, going back to when you first started with the therapy program, you said you actually wrote a book and were working with children. Did you have experience working with kids before this or was this kind of your first time Never. Um, into this new arena? Of, it was of totally, dogs and this whole thing was totally new to me. When my mom had had the stroke, I had had my own business. I uh, was a consultant and I ran programs for Fortune 500 companies. So having a dog and working with children was something that was really brand new to me. I, just, I knew that if I ever wanted to go to work, I wanted to go to work with a dog. And that's when we were able to adopt Kizzy. Sounds like Kizzy changed your life. Kizzy did. Kizzy did. Kizzy changed my life. And now I have Lulu. Kizzy was 19. When, um, when he died, he lived a, a, a wonderful life, taught me a whole new life. Uh, my life prior to pet therapy was corporate America, where everything was very um, predictable. As far as I was concerned, everything was planned. And then I came into this world, which is very, very different. And just to be able to give back to children, which is the education program that we have just is is wonderful. And Judy, you started the organization Pause for a Cause. How did you um, kind of come to found you know a, a formal organization and recruit members? How did that kind of take place? Pause has uh, taken on a life of its own. We started with six members who would come to West Point on a weekly basis with working with the, uh, with the WTU units, the Warriors in Transition. And we sat on the porch of the barracks every week, every, uh, I think it was every Tuesday afternoon, and visited with the soldiers who were just coming home from Iraq or Afghanistan 
and they were injured. Uh, you couldn't physically see what their injuries, but they, they definitely had injure, injuries. And we would meet with them. Then all of a sudden, our group got a little bit bigger through West Point. Some social workers would visit us. They'd be part of the group, and some of the doctors would come. And they, because what was happening is the, the soldiers that we were meeting with were talking with us and, with the, and petting the dogs who were non-judgmental. It didn't matter where they came from and what, they, what happened to them. Uh, they were very, very comfortable with, with us and with the dogs. And then our program grew as we started to grow because of our uh, reputation. People would just be talking about, we're going to West Point, we're part of the Red Cross, and we're doing this and we're doing that. And that's how we started. And it just has grown and grown. Can you talk about some of the situations where you witnessed someone visibly relax and their body language changed when they were petting the dog? At West Point, we work a lot with the cadets. We do a lot of de-stress programs. We are affiliated with, uh, because of our affiliation with the Red Cross, we get to go to blood drives. The cadets are part of their responsibility as being a cadet. Uh, they have to give blood. And we are reminded that these are really young people who get very nervous when they see a needle. Uh, so we bring the dogs in. And I have witnessed where somebody's blood pressure was very, very high and they could not give blood and bringing a dog over and having that person, the cadet, being able to pet the dog, eventually the pressure went low enough where they were able to give blood. And that was a visual that, of course, I'll never forget. But we've, we have uh, witnessed so many small miracles with, with soldiers, with their families, with, uh, with children, who the children who could not speak uh, at the end of a school year were able to were able to speak because in petting a dog, it just lowers their blood pressure and just keeps them very, very calm. People who have a severe brain injury and some children who cannot control their hands or their, uh, their speech will sit with the dog and they know that they have to, in order to pet a dog, they have to be in control. They're, uh, there was one instance where there was a, a girl at a hospital who had a brain injury, and um, for about six weeks she was at in uh, rehab in uh, Rockland County. And we would bring our dogs in, and she couldn't even raise her hand to pet her dog, to pet the dog until, and I didn't know that, and I just handed her a, a dog treat, and I said, would you like to give my dog a treat? And she actually grabbed the treat and her parents were st sitting there and they couldn't believe that she actually did that. And then she bent down from her wheelchair and she was, she gave my dog a treat. And I thought it was something that was very natural. Parents were very, very overwhelmed uh, because she was, she was controlling herself and actually listening. And she said the word dog which was the very beginning of her being able to, to speak. And that was a miracle. So you founded Pause for a Cause. I started off with six dogs? Yes. When, in what year was that? 2011. 2011. Um, it's since 
grown to include, you say, more than 100 dogs? We have about over 100 members, 105 or six, something like that. And you're supporting, as Andrew was saying, you're supporting hospitals, military installations, uh, schools and clinics? Yes. Yes. Um, How did you get affiliated and connected with the American Red Cross? So our affiliation with West Point had to go hand in hand with our affiliation with the Red Cross because we were coming in as volunteers. Being part of the Red Cross has allowed us into uh, places that we never thought that we could be. For example, yesterday we were at a post-deployment family event. We do a lot of yellow ribbon events. Can you talk about how the dogs are interacting with the family members and the kids at these events? Yes, they are being themselves. They are being dogs. They are friendly. They like to be petted. They are, um, we walk around. We don't just stand in a group. We, we are very, we're a very social group. So we like to mingle with everybody. So it's not that it's, oh, look at this dog. This is a therapy dog. Can you talk to the dog? And how are you feeling? And what makes you feel good? It's nothing like that. It's, oh, look at the dog. What's your dog's name? How old is your dog? Do you have a moment or an interaction from when you were working with the Warriors in Transition Unit you'd want to share with you? Maybe one moment that really stuck with you all these years? There was somebody who had just come back from uh, active duty, and he was very, very despondent. It was obvious that he was despondent. He just he came onto the porch, and he kind of just stood with his back against the wall, and he had his arms crossed. And somebody went over to him with a little poodle. He probably was, he was a big, burly guy. <laughs> and she just walked over to him and said, would you like to say hello to my dog? And he said, can I hold her? And she said, sure. So she handed this tiny little five-pound poodle over to him. And he literally slithered down the wall, sat on the floor, and held this dog and cried. So, yes, that made a difference. What was going through your mind when you saw this? I just, I don't even remember. I just was so taken in by that because... uh, Obviously, this dog hit a part of his heart that um, maybe was closed for such a long time. So what does it take to be a therapy dog or a therapy dog handler? Okay. The first thing we look at is the temperament. We have to make sure that the dog has the right temperament, that they're friendly, that they like, they can tolerate other dogs, and uh, they're social. They just want to be petted. We also uh, have a training course. Most of our animal, most of our pets are affiliated with uh, an organization, Alliance for Therapy Dogs. We use that a lot. We use that organization a lot. But there's many, many national organizations that uh, require testing, and the goals are the same. We want your dog to be a therapy dog. We don't, when they come into therapy dog training, it's not necessarily about the sit, the stay. It's more about the relationship that you have with your dog so that you learn and your dog learns what is expected of them during the training. Um, They have to trust you because you're on the other end of the leash. If you're tense or upset, your dog knows that. If it's a loose leash and you're very comfortable, 
the dog understands that. And that's what we learn during the training. Uh, they learn to have people um, approach them. Uh, my dog has a stance that she uses that she allows people to pet her on her back and she loves it. Uh, some dogs are, all dogs are, all dogs are different, but the training is, is very, very important because that is what's the key. When your dog is registered or certified through a national organization, that gives you insurance. And that in today's world, liability insurance is very, very important. So all the dogs in your program have to go through a formalized training Absolutely. process. Absolutely, yes. And test, it's the tr not only the training, but then there's the testing process. So the test is uh, for one of the organizations that I mentioned for Alliance <clears throat> ATD, the test is a three-part process. There's the skills test, which is having your dog walk next to you on a loose leash, having somebody approach you with a dog, um, walking. Uh, well, and all of this is done because this is oftentimes what happens when you're on a visit. Somebody's going to be approaching you with a dog, with a wheelchair, or with another dog, and your dog has to not react to that because we want we want the dog to understand that when they're working, they can't be reacting. Um, so the skills, so that that's part of the skills test. And then there's observations. We bring the dogs to actual nursing homes and assisted living to uh, work with the patients that are there and the patients love it. We were there actually this morning and everybody gets very excited when the dogs are tested because they're part of the testing process. The patients or the clients that are at the uh, nursing homes. And Judy, it's interesting how, over time, you've gotten even more acclimated to the Red Cross programs. Now, like you said, the dogs come to the blood drives at West Point, and I know right. uh, some of the dogs and the handlers now are part of our logistics team at our warehouse, and it's really become kind of a, a larger family, the connection. It's amazing how it has taken on a life of its own, and that has to do with the fantastic people that are part of PAWS. It's, I can take credit for starting, but I can't take all of that credit, because if it wasn't for the group that's that's part of PAWS, we wouldn't be able to uh, drive the animal rescue trailer or be able to be as much part of the Red Cross as we are. Um, we have now the um, responsibility of having the animal rescue trailer that has been housed in the Middletown warehouse for a couple of years, and it just was there. And one day, one of our members walked in, and uh, the rest becomes history, that he started volunteering for the Red Cross, and he has now kind of taken this on as his um, baby almost. And we've taken inventory. We found out in this trailer there are 50 or 60 crates. We have leashes and collars and uh, we are ready to help in case there is a an event. We can support a local shelter with our with our trailer. So, and it's all under the pause umbrella. What has surprised you most about your work with therapy dogs? That's a really good question. I don't think I've had a surprise. I've just, it's just, for me, it's there's always something else that has to be done. It's 
it's um, I see us growing. I see us at a point where we need to let people know, uh, more people know about what we do because we need more and more volunteers. Um, so the, it's, there's, it's just been a, um, a growth that has been a, a wonderful progression. How are you a different person today than where you were before you got um, Gizzy? I think um, I'm more grateful today because I see a lot more than I did when I was in corporate America. When I was in corporate America, it was doggy dog, <laughs> uh, as an expression I could use. And it was, uh, everything was planned. Everything was, uh, it, it was very different. Today, I look at people, I look at families, I look at how can we help them? How can we make things better? How can we get into more schools so we can help the children with reading? How can we get into uh, more, more post and, and pre-deployment events so we could be part of this phenomenon that takes place that happens during, during these events? That's, that's where, where I'm looking, where I I see we can, we can do more. The theme of this season of the podcast is humanitarians of New York. Um, they might not be humans, but they're definitely humanitarians. <laughs> yes, they are. They are wonderful. And again, it's the humans that are behind them. And we can't um, ever say that, uh, you know, the, dog, the dogs are phenomenal, but it, it's the people that are, are, are behind them. You know, they say behind every good man is a, a good woman <laughs> behind every good dog is a good handler. <laughs> Absolutely. Judy, you've been a volunteer now for many years. Would, what advice would you give to someone who was interested in volunteering in their community? I would, uh, my advice would be to feel what makes you feel good in your heart, whether it's working with animals, which is something that I love, uh, working with people, working with children, Helping people that are less fortunate, volunteering for me has been just that. It's just been an amazing, an amazing journey. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. Lulu, Judy, thank you. Thank you for all you do. And thank you. Big thank you to everyone for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please share, like, subscribe, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, we really want to hear from you, our listeners. To learn more about the work of the Red Cross, visit redcross.org. This episode was produced and edited by Chi Kong Lu. Special thanks to Michael Freiberg and Connor Lennon for their support. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you join us for the next episode.